Second Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read the word of the Lord together from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Would to God that ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear Lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose that I was not a wit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. I have committed, have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you. And so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think of me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly, in this confidence of my boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also, for ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage. If a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, in soever any is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they of the Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. 
Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times I received forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice have I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen. In perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern my infirmities. The the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. So the Apostle Paul in this chapter continues to rebuke the false teachers in Corinth for their subtle devices and the Corinthian church for falling subject to them. In the first section, which I have as Verses 1 through 15, the first thing to note here is the great love and jealousy of the apostle for the church. He is pleading for his church to hear him. And what is this jealousy? It is that the church may be pure as the bride of Christ. We see in this passage that Paul, as a friend of the bridegroom, will spare no godly effort to ensure that Christ's church may be presented as a chaste virgin with singleness toward him and devotion. From this we note the end of the true ministry of Christ. It joins with the bridegroom in sanctifying and cleansing the church with the washing of the water of the word. This faithful ministry will not suffer any to divide the love and adoration of the bride to set it upon any other suitor. All the gifts and abilities that are given to the ministry by Christ are for the edification of the church, so that she might be clothed in righteousness of the righteousness of Christ and may be spotless from the world. We also see here that he mentions that he is jealous with a godly jealousy. And from this we might note that there are two types of jealousy that might be be apparent among us. Of the first sort, there is a jealousy that springs from self-love. And this is not the case with the apostle. For as we note in this chapter, he is willing to lay all aside on behalf of Christ. The second sort stems from a love and zeal for the name of God 
one that has its greatest desire in the honors and rights which belong to God and to ensure that they are fulfilled. And so Paul pleads with the Corinthian church as a manifestation of the great love that Christ has, or that the Paul has for the bride of Christ. And so he argues in a form of argument that's not typically characteristic of the Apostle Paul. These false prophets, these false apostles who are called ministers of Satan later in the passage had worked subtly among the Corinthians. They sought to undermine the character of the apostle in his apostleship and, um, and had chipped away at the Corinthians' regard for him to act as a sort of gateway toward another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Right? By chipping away at the authority of the apostle, they had opened the door to apostasy. And what was the end of their dissimulation? It was so that they might introduce that other gospel, that they might gain a foothold among the Corinthians. And notice that this is the fear of the apostle, that they may be like Eve, who was seduced by the serpent's subtlety, Uh, and was corrupted in her estate from the innocent love that she and devotion she had toward God. They had uh, likewise, by casting those disparaging accusations against the apostle, these men had chipped away at their regard for him. And by chipping away at their regard for him, it wasn't just his person that was affected, it was his message that was affected too, the gospel. They had altered the gospel into that which is no gospel, and the church had treated well and favorably with them. We must note here the consistency and interconnectedness of the various aspects of the gospel is such that if any corruption should be made in one aspect, it affects the whole. The moment that you make another Jesus, now you have another spirit and another gospel. The moment you corrupt the spirit, you have another Jesus and you have another gospel. They are interconnected. You can't harm one without harming the rest. And so against his sanctified inclinations, Paul is reduced to providing a defense for his ministry to cut them off at their wicked devices and to stop them at the gateway. And so he will talk about how he is speaking to them foolishly. Not not suitable to that which would be modest, praising himself. The next thing to note is that for the apostles' part, he aimed to advance the gospel by removing any occasion that might prevent it, even if this meant abasing himself, uh, uh, causing himself to come into humility. However, instead of this uh, leading to a greater respect for the apostles' work on their behalf, uh, it became an occasion for the Christian church to believe that, oh, I'm sorry, forgive me. Um, and one of the ways that he did this was while he was at Corinth, he wasn't receiving a salary, right? He wanted to remove every occasion to say that, oh, look at Paul, he's advancing himself. However, instead of having the effect it should have had, 
which was to draw the Corinthian church to him. Instead, these false apostles had used it as an occasion to say that his gospel wasn't worth anything. So he says hyperbolically that he robbed other churches to fill up his needs to serve the Corinthian church. Now that robbing that we see was not to say that the churches in Macedonia didn't give willingly, um, but only to mention that they weren't the direct recipients of the apostles' labors. The apostle imbibes in exaggerating this case so that he might bring humility to the Corinthians. In their giving, the Macedonians were involved in the ministry to the Corinthians and demonstrated their love for their spiritual welfare. It was a good thing that the Macedonians gave to the ministry, but it was a it was a bad use that the Corinthians had made to make that an occasion for downplaying the value of the gospel. It is regrettable that we as men tend to undervalue things that we don't pay for. Were we to count the true value of the gospel, all the money in the world would not be enough to purchase it. Yet, because it was given freely, the Corinthians had counted it, accounted it little worth. So he goes on to state um, that he will continue to not take wages um, of the Corinthian church, not so that they can continue to undervalue the gospel and his ministry, but that those who might seek occasion, saying that he preaches the gospel to enrich himself, himself, might be foiled in that occasion. The final thing in this first section is we want to note the character and mode of operation of the ministers of Satan. Like Satan, false apostles do not come with an announcement of their malicious intent, but instead seek to transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. In like manner, his ministers will not come and make their true nature and intentions known. They come presenting themselves as if they had the same character and purpose as those ministers of Christ. They will conduct themselves as if they have the same end and purpose. But their conduct is instead a ruse, a cloak to hide their lies. They will adopt the same language, but they will fill it up with new meaning. They will say that they're trying to advance the cause of righteousness while hiding the fact that they are instead promoting self-righteousness. They will say that they have your best interests at heart. They will conduct themselves with niceness and with pleasantness. And they will present other carnal means to deceive the simple. But don't be disarmed by such men's kindnesses and apparent piety. The purity of the gospel must be our primary concern. In all these things, these deceitful workers will be known by their end. That is, their work will end in ruin and destruction. It is only the true and the pure gospel that has life. These lies will know their end in ruin and destruction. So, also note that in verses 19 and 20 that the Corinthians are rebuked for their following after those who would bring them into bondage again, to devour them, to take of them, to exalt themselves, and smite them on the face. Those who would seek to eat their flesh as bread. 
The Corinthians thought that they were wise in heeding these men, but for all their boastings, their, their purpose, the false apostles' purpose, was to bring them into spiritual bondage and tyranny. Instead of spending and be, being spent on behalf of the people, they were asking the people to be subject to them for their own advantage. We must be a careful and discerning people. In our daily con- conversing with the word, we must seek to understand what the word has for us and what it teaches us so that we might have a wall in our mind against the advances of, of the enemy of our souls. Because should we give up ground, that's leading us down the road to apostasy. In section 2, verses 16 through 33, um, he continues with this particular mode of speech regarding foolishness and wisdom, and it's designed to show the Corinthians that they have folly in their conceptions. Since they have borne with the vain glorying of these false apostles, Paul asks that they bear with him a little bit in his defense. Paul will sarcastically speak of himself as if he were the fool and about them as if they are wise to show the folly of their own conceptions. They had emphasized glorying in the flesh rather than finding glory where it truly belongs, in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As such, Paul descends into that mode of speech in order to defend his ministry that would seem foolish to one of that modest temperament. But it's not so that Paul might praise himself, as was the custom of these false apostles. But it might show that their, their calumny, their their uh, advancement against him, their accusations against him were unfounded. And so he asks the question. He goes on a series of, of qualifications about his ministry. He says, Are you, um, am I a Hebrew? Am I of the seed of Abraham? Do I not have the pedigree that these men have? This also gives us an indication that these false apostles were of the Judaizing sort, right? Um, the other thing that he talks about is, is has he not, uh, are these men looking for proofs in labors? Ha, then has not Paul shown abundantly that he, um, that he has abased himself in every respect for the gospel, having received, received pains in his body? afflictions most abundantly, perils on every side, and even the constant threat of death, and having received in his soul uh, pains and afflictions on behalf of the church, in watchings often, in fastings often, having the care of the church constantly on his mind, has he not spent himself in every effort for the advancement of the cause of the gospel? Has not Paul in peril Weariness and painfulness spent all on behalf of his ministry. After all this, this long list that we have here, what should the Corinthians have responded with? Well, they should have had great affection for him. Their hearts should have been inclined to the apostle so that he, uh, so that the calumnies of the enemies, these false apostles, would have fallen on deaf ears. 
we know the love the apostle has for us because he is demonstrating the love that Christ has for us. How shall I sin against my God by following after you? That should have been their response. As Christians, we must understand as well as as Paul is listing off these things, notice that he advances his infirmities. Right? Success in this life doesn't look like what the world calls it. Paul here speaks of his successful ministry by speaking of the many afflictions, infirmities, and pains for the sake of Christ and the grace of God that enabled him to maintain a good ministry in them. That is what a successful ministry looks like. Not necessarily how many conversions you make or any such thing. Would we say that Isaiah, for instance, had a successful ministry? It's important for us to put the proper conception on the spirituality of the church. And not to simply count numbers or look at bar graphs in order to see church growth. There's no numbers you can put on it. Only whether or not God commends it or not. Thus ends the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians 11.